Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features expert answers to clinician questions on the use of tyrosine kinase inhibitors for patients with chronic phase chronic myeloid leukemia. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Improving Outcomes for Patients with CML, the latest on TKIs and combination treatment approaches. During this podcast, Professor Tim Brumendorf from University Hospital Aachen in Aachen, Germany, Dr. Jorge Cortez of the Georgia Cancer Center in Augusta, Georgia, and Professor Carlo Gambacorti Passerini from the University Milano Bicocca in Milan, Italy, will answer questions asked by the audience during two live webinars and covering topics including choosing initial tyrosine kinase inhibitor therapy for chronic phase CML, considering your patient's presentation and individual goals, thoughts on BCR-ABLE mutation analysis and the choice of initial TKI therapy, repeating attempts to achieve treatment-free remissions after previous relapse, thoughts on current experiences with generic tyrosine kinase inhibitor therapy, and managing patients with loss of a major molecular response but with a persistent, complete cytogenetic response. For more information on our faculty for this program, along with a link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets from the webinars, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what the experts have to say on these important topics. I can start with one that I see here. The, the question is, would it be appropriate to use imatinib up front and then keep bosutinib as a backup in, in case of a response is inadequate? Um, and I don't, I, I don't think um, we, we think about this in this way. I think we need to select what we think is most appropriate for the patient, depending on their goals, their objectives. Um, if it is a patient that has too many comorbidities, who is interested more in, in just you know, having a good complete cytogenetic response and very few risks and, and is not interested in TFR, then imagine it makes sense. Uh, but if it is a young patient whose interest is TFR and, and, and looking at longer term, et cetera, I want to start with a second generation. Um, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't keep anything um, in the drawer just 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 in case. Uh, we do have enough options uh, for, for uh, possible failure anyway. So I would go with my best uh, treatment option first. Maybe I can follow up. Uh, related question uh, is a, is um, is whether imaginative. I don't see it exactly, but it says whether imatinib is, is no longer uh, an appropriate uh, treatment option in first time. And that's obviously clearly not the case. I mean, we don't have survival benefit, uh, overall progression-free survival benefits for second-generation TKIs uh, compared to imatinib first line. Um, we, we might uh, provide a rational, if we're aiming at TFR, for using a second generation TKI's first line, we have a couple of um, endpoints that are, that are that can be reached more successfully and earlier with second generation TKI's, but we so far don't have um, an overall survival benefit. So I would never say uh, that basically imatinib is out and we cannot use imatinib anymore. Vice versa, I still, and that is another question, 
um, whether we should uh, use imatinib in all standard risk CML patients in chronic phase that do not have comorbidities. I, I, I also wouldn't support this statement because as we have been discussing, uh, I think the choice uh, of the patient of the TKI for the individual patient is dependent on the treatment goal. Uh, so it depends on the age of the patient and, and what the treatment goal is uh, and what you discuss with your patient. And it might you might provide a rational for using a second generation TKI in such a patient uh, clearly. And, and you, I would even argue the fact that comorbidity that there are no comorbidities does basically offer every option and not restricted to imagining. I will um, uh, take instead the question on the usefulness uh, of a mutational uh, screening uh, uh, as um, upfront uh, way to select inhibitors. Uh, uh, I already replied to this uh, question. I don't think this would be a rational uh, thing uh, because uh, um, there is uh, no selection of cells uh, at that point. And therefore, uh, uh, we uh, would not get uh, um, a useful information, uh, even if you use a very sensitive approach that could detect very few cells with a certain mutation. Uh, there is no uh, proof that these cells will be really selected uh, by the treatment and cause uh, uh, resistance or a relapse uh, of the disease. So I would consider a mutational screening uh, uh, after at least uh, uh, three months uh, of treatment. So giving the TKI enough time to select cells if they are, uh, which uh, are resistant and brings, uh, and bring a certain mutation. Um, I can take a, another one. It's um, about uh, treatment-free remission. Do you recommend a second attempt of stopping TKI therapy in case of relapse after the first attempt in a patient that now is in MR 4.5 for at least two years in order to improve the quality of life? Um, and that's a scenario that's, that's uh, growing uh, in, in interest, in frequency. We do see that. And, and we've, we've had a, a few studies that have addressed that. And generally speaking, what you can say is, yes, it is doable. You can have a second attempt at, uh, at treatment-free remission. Uh, in general, the expectation is that the success is going to be lower. Uh, overall, if the first attempt, the success tends to be somewhere between 50 and 60%. Uh, the second attempt, it's about 30%. So it is not, um, it is not negligible. It is, uh, it is reasonable to attempt. I perhaps would try to go a little bit longer on the duration of the MR 4.5 uh, for my second attempt, although two years is, is already pretty acceptable. Uh, but if possible, I may want to go uh, a bit longer uh, because the longer the remission, uh, the, the better the chances. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm gonna take um, a question here. What's the status of radotinib? I put it on the list, but I didn't address it. Radotinib is approved in, uh, in Korea and in Singapore, I believe, in South Korea and in Singapore for frontline and second line, uh, but it has not been studied or, or uh, used uh, elsewhere. So uh, at the moment, it's not available in, in uh, any other country. And also about the tolerance of uh, HQP1351. Uh, the phase one study did not report any, any major uh, uh, red flags in terms of, of safety. So it seems to be a uh, a fairly safe drug, but the studies have all been done in China so far, so we don't, I don't have any personal experience, none of us does. Um, 
I, I believe they're start, going to start doing studies outside of the of China. So so we'll soon be able to to have more personal experience and see how it does. The data of efficacy looks interesting. I mean, if you speak about tridotinib, it should be South Korea mostly. Uh, and and I, yeah, I, I, my my point is that this is probably much less uh, studied than nilotinib. Uh, so uh, as far as 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 uh, cardiovascular safety, I, I would consider that the the jury is still out uh, before uh, concluding that is uh, less toxic than than nilotinib. Probably definitely is less is less studied. Agree. There's three questions here that are somewhat related. Uh, one uh, asks whether the Austrian study used generic imatinib. Uh, there is a, um, a question um, on what is the experience with generics. Um, and then the other one is regarding the financial toxicities of any of the available TKIs in the USA or other countries. So. Um, the, the, the Austrian model, and by the way, there are others that have been published. Uh, there's one from the UK, there's one from the US, um, and, and there's a couple of others at least that I know. Um, and, and you know, they, they come with slightly different conclusions, but, but evidently they all show the, the, the great uh, uh, financial toxicity. And I think that that is where we need to consider the, um, the risk and benefit of the patients. We also need to consider that the second generation could be more expensive, but if they give us a better chance of getting to a TFR, then it's a, it's a big investment at the beginning, a bigger investment at the beginning. But if you are able to discontinue therapy, then you may recover that uh, in the long term, it becomes a saving. The problem is that today, the treatment-free remission is a reality in grossly about 25% of the patients. Only about half are eligible yeah, and of those who discontinue, only about half remain without therapy. So we need to improve on that. Uh, but if we do that, then, then that financial toxicity starts getting better. Now, the other thing is that as these drugs start becoming generic, they, they, may, uh, they, may, they may help with that. So that takes me to the question of the generics. And um, first, the, the Austrian uh, analysis did include uh, generic imatinib. And when you do that, the difference is, is more significant. Now, what is the experience with the generics? And here we have a bit of a problem because there's been um, essentially two categories of studies looking at the generics. One that, and, and that includes our own experience, that shows that the generic, and this is imaginative, that's the only one that, that's been extensively published on, um, the, that the generic imaginative has been good, that when you switch patients to a generic imatinib, they do well. There are other studies that have shown that it's not, that, that, uh, that, the, that the generic imatinib is associated with inferior outcomes. And when I look at these different studies, one thing that stands out to me and that I think may explain at least some of the difference is that the studies that are using, that, that have a good outcome, are using well-controlled quality control generics, you know, the kind of generics that we use for all the things as well. So they're, you know, well manufactured with good quality control, purity, et cetera. Whereas some of the others, and unfortunately there's a, a myriad of uh, generics that, are, that do not have those controls and, 
and we don't know exactly the amount of drug, the purity, uh, et cetera. And, and, and that's, a, that's what's available in many countries. And I don't think those generics are the same as the generic that we have in the US or that they have in the UK or in other places. So I think generics can be good, but unfortunately today, not all the generics are good. There is another question from Dennis Miller on, on the financial toxicity of TKIs. Uh, um, in, uh, in, I think it's different in different uh, countries, just to give you an idea. Uh, now, uh, imagine in Italy cost uh, or, or about 50 euro per month uh, compared to uh, 2,000 euro uh, for the brand. And uh, that uh, is, is an important uh, issue. I think uh, in, in the US, uh, the generic is still uh, much higher than, than the price in, in Italy, right, Jorge? That is correct, yeah. They, and and it, it, there's a, a wide variety in prices in the US. Some of them are not that much lower than the brand, uh, but, but there are some that are significantly lower. And, and I agree with the comment of Harvey that uh, the quality control is pivotal when you speak about uh, generics. Uh, you need to be sure that uh, inside the pill there is what is stated on the label. Yeah, maybe I can I can take another combined uh, two questions on on the selection of second generation TKIs in the first lines. So given that someone has decided I want to get started with a second generation TKI first line, how do I choose uh, which of the three available options I do use? And I think um, that is, I would say, mostly dependent on, and that's what I'd like to, what I want to stress in my, in my presentation, um, on the existing comorbidities of the patients. In some cases, maybe also on, on adherence issues because some of the drugs can be, need to be taken once daily, others twice daily. Uh, that might be an, a consideration. And if it comes to uh, sort of, and, and you've seen that from the patient survey that, that sort of the risk of developing long-term toxicities is obviously some, something that patients themselves are really concerned and maybe more concerned than, the, than what they typically express when we see them in the outpatient clinic. Uh, and that, and on that basis and addressing that issue, one should maybe also think about what are the toxicities that, that TKIs have in, in terms of non-hematologic toxicities uh, are potentially reversible and which ones are not. Uh, that might also be uh, an issue to be considered. And that is then of course also related to the fact of the age of the patient and how long that patient probably, as Jorge said, only a small minority can uh, reach TFR. So the majority of the patients take the drugs for a very long time. And therefore I think these, uh, irreversible toxicities that might develop later on are, are an important issue to be considered. Um, let me address the, this one, because um, I, I think this is a common scenario. It says, uh, there's a loss of major molecular response, but with persistent complete cytogenic response, would you switch your TKI? And I think that um, that is only part of the story. I, you know, I, I want to know a number of things. Number one, um, if it is just a one-time measure, I want to check it again. I want to assess the adherence of the patient to therapy to see why these may be happening. I also want to check if there's mutations. Usually in this context, you will not find mutations, but, but if you do, 
that, that certainly will prompt you to, to change mutations. But also you want to assess um, uh, the, you know, what else do you have available, how, how the patient is tolerating and, 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 and what are the goals of the patient. If the patient's goal is TFR, then that would be that, and, and you have some some better option. Then then certainly you would consider switching therapy um, in in that context if you confirm that it is indeed a loss of MMR. Uh, be careful with just one-time determinations. You know, they, it, it's always a good thing to confirm. Um, but but if the patient doesn't want, is not interested in TFR, they want quality of life and they, they're happy with their TKI. I tend to wait uh, as long as they have a, uh, still a complete cytogenetic response. You may optimize the doses. Maybe they've lowered the doses and you want to go back up, et cetera. So I, I think that the, there's no yes or no answer to this question. It depends on multiple factors that you have to assess together with your patient to decide, is that the most appropriate action for your patient? And I think with all of that, uh, we all thank you for participating, for discussing with us, for listening to us and wish you all a nice evening or afternoon, depending on where you are. Goodbye. Thank you very much, Professor Brumendorf, Dr. Cortez, and Professor Gambacorti Passerini. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Improving Outcomes for Patients with CML, the latest on TKIs and combination treatment approaches, and to download the slide sets associated with this discussion from the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.